ladies uh, for leading us in music. I'm going to ask you if you would take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we focus in on patience, uh, we're going to take a look at uh, the arrival of John the Baptist. Um, Just surrounding the entire birth narrative of Jesus and John the Baptist, God is demonstrating that he is doing a supernatural work, that everything that's happening around this time uh, is, is by the hand of God, by his initiation, and all of it is supremely important. And this morning, as we focus in on patience, we're going to look at the prophecy that Zechariah gives uh, before the, at the birth of his son. Uh, and so uh, I hope that you'll, you'll enjoy reading that with me. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 80 here in just a second. But I want to proclaim to you that around Christmas time, that has never been known as a time of great patience for me. Uh, even as a kid, uh, I, I was not very patient around Christmas time. I remember very distinctly that on Christmas Eve... After everybody had gone to bed, as a kid, I would wait up and I would sneak out of my room. Now, I, know, you know, you, you, I know it's crazy to think that I was ever deceptive or sneaky. I know that's odd. But I would get up and after everybody had gone to bed, I would go out to the Christmas tree. I didn't go out because I loved the beauty of the tree or because the lights were nice. I went out there because there was presents under them tree. Okay. Uh, Just so you know, I would sneak out into the living room, and I would look at the presents, and I would actually go around to see which ones were for me and which ones were for my brothers who didn't really deserve it. They didn't deserve anything. <laughs> At least that's what I thought. But I would go and I would examine, right, because the, the shape of the box can often tell you what's in it. Or if not the shape of it, you can pick them up. And by the weight of it, you might be able to make some identification. And even if that, maybe a little little shake of the box will help you determine what is inside. Now, mind you, in in about five hours from that time, I was going to open them up and know what was in them, but I couldn't wait. I was not patient when it came to Christmas time. That's what you know, that struggle... with patience continues today, uh, if we're going anywhere, it's best that I not drive. Watch it. I have what may be called hurry sickness, which is I have places to be, and yes, I left 10 minutes late, but that's not on me. That's on the people who are driving the speed limit for some reason. These weirdos who don't understand that the speed limit is a suggestion. No, no, never mind. No, I take it back. Take it back. If there's any police officers watching this, I take it back. But patience is something that I believe 
is not, the struggle with it is not unique to me. I believe that if I went around this room, I would find a lot of people who struggle to wait. Now imagine being someone like Zechariah. Let's look over this real quick. Luke chapter 1. Actually, before we read that section, let's go back a few verses. Look at the beginning of Luke chapter 1. As we talk about the birth of John the Baptist, let me, let me share this with you. Now remember, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, we have over 400 years of waiting where God hasn't said anything that we have recorded. The people are waiting and wondering what is going to come as they've been taken off into exile. Some have returned, but not all of them. And even though they returned, it wasn't exactly the same. They were still waiting for God to ultimately fulfill his promise of bringing a king. And over 400 years of silence, we see the story of John the Baptist's birth. We find out that Zechariah is advanced in years. That's a way in the Bible of saying he was old. And this is what we learn. In Luke chapter 1, it says in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from, his daughters, from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. You see that double whammy? Barren and advanced in years. That means if there's going to be a baby in this story... It's going to have to be supernatural. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Supernatural stuff, right? And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you can imagine the, yeah, right. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years, right? He's thinking this doesn't make sense. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among 
people. Fast forward, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, because dad can't, yep. His mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to, uh, him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. What's the first thing that comes out of Zechariah's mouth after all this time of not being able to talk? He starts blessing God. He starts praising and fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, when the, uh, when, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, verse 67, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me as we read this together. Look at the promise of God to his family. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high." to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Heavenly Father, help us to see the beautiful patience that is found in this family. And God, may we see that Jesus is the promised one that was waited for. May he receive glory as we learn today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Notice that we're going to be looking back at Old Testament promises that God made, and we're also looking forward to what he's going to do. We're told in verse 67 that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to prophesy. That is a biblical way of saying that what was flowing from Zechariah's mouth was not his own words, but was actually what God was speaking through him, that Zechariah was actually prophesying on behalf of of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied. And what did he prophesy about? Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah begins to bless the Lord or praise and worship God. And why does he praise and worship God? Because or for one, he has visited his people. Throughout the Old Testament, God gave pictures or shadows of what he would ultimately do in the Messiah. In fact, if you think back to Exodus chapter 3, God says that upon hearing the cries of his people in Egypt for deliverance, what did God do? He came and visited them. 
God showed up in the midst of their sorrow and suffering, and he rescues and delivers them. We see the same thing here. Zechariah gives God praise because he has visited his people, that his arm is being demonstrated as he rescues them. Jeremiah refers to God visiting his people to bring them back out of exile in the nations. And we're going to see that that connection to Exodus is intentional throughout this whole thing. So number one, God deserves praise because he visited his people through Jesus Christ. But number two, God deserves praise because he has redeemed his people through Jesus. Again, this echoes what we see in places like Exodus chapter 3. Just as God had delivered or redeemed his people out of Egypt, God promised there would be a greater deliverance that would come in the future by his own son. We see this taking place here. That's what we read in Jeremiah 23, verse 7 and 8, when Jeremiah said, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord brought us up out of Egypt. Instead, they will say, oh, look how the king has brought us out of the nations to dwell with God. Jeremiah was prophesying of a greater exodus to come through the Messiah. And this exodus would be something greater than just exile in a foreign territory. The exile that that Jesus would rescue his people from is exile due to sin. And Jesus would bring deliverance. Not only does he deserve praise for visiting his people, for redeeming his people, but number three, he deserves praise because he's raised up a horn of salvation for his people. The horn is a picture of power in the Old Testament and in the Bible. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Zechariah prophesies that God has raised up this horn of salvation. The idea of being raised up is the idea of causing something to appear. That when Jesus shows up on the scene, the power of God is showing up. That God was sending to deliver, and this was the work of his own hand. And because it's the work of God's own hand, guess what? He deserves worship for it. He deserves praise for it. We're told that this horn of salvation would be raised up in the house of David. Remember, what was the promise God gave in David's family? God would provide a king who would sit on the throne forever. Luke is trying to show us by this prophecy of Zechariah that Jesus is that promised one from the line of David. And God is worthy of praise because he's visited, redeemed, raised up the deliverer for his people. And this was all according to, as we see in verse 70, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. As I mentioned earlier, all the prophets wrote hundreds of years before Jesus ever came in human form. Isaiah wrote some 750 years before Jesus' birth. Jeremiah wrote some 600 years before Jesus' birth. Even if you look at Malachi, who we think is maybe the latest prophet of the Old Testament, it was some 400 years before Jesus would show up. That's a lot of waiting. That's a lot of patience. That's a lot of trust that God will do what he has said he was going to do. Can you imagine the patience of the prophets speaking of the deliverer that they longed for, but all of them would die before he would ever show up? We want God to act now. Do it now. Do it now. Does God operate that way? 
He seems to do a lot of waiting. You ever asked yourself, sin entered in way back in Genesis 3. Why didn't Jesus show up then? Why thousands of years? Maybe God intends for a lot of waiting to take place and a lot of patience to happen. The prophets of old, they prophesied and waited for something that they would die before it would occur. God spoke through these prophets, verse 71, for a reason that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. God gives this hymn of prophetic praise to Zechariah to show he's going to fulfill his promise of the deliverer. He hasn't forgotten or changed his mind. God intends to save his people from the enemies. In fact, God's promise of deliverance goes way back over 4,000 years to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God promised Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. God promised he would bless those who blessed God's people, and he would curse those who cursed God's people. God would deliver his children from their enemies. And Jesus was the one who was securing that deliverance and rescue through his own life, death, and resurrection. All of this was to fulfill what he had sworn, verse 73, to our father Abraham to grant us. See, God saves his people as he has promised through his son, and he does all of this to deliver us from, our, from the enemies so that we might serve him without fear. The holy covenant that, that God swore is the oath that he gave to Abraham to deliver from enemies and to serve him without fear. What's that fear? I believe it's the fear that Jesus removes of condemnation before God. The deliverance of God isn't just from our enemies, but it's also to restore us back to God Again, we needed peace not just among ourselves. We ultimately needed peace with God. And we aren't saved to ourselves. We aren't saved as individuals to exist on our own. We are saved to serve and worship God without fear of ever falling back into condemnation again. Because Jesus has paid for every bit of our sin. Verse 75, and as a result, in holiness and righteousness we serve him. We serve God in holiness because that's what Jesus has purchased for us, that we can live according to God's commands and statutes. We serve him in righteousness, which means to walk uprightly, to be acceptable to God. We can actually live that way because of what Jesus has done for us. And we walk before God, which means in his sight all of our days. This is what Jesus has purchased for us. This is what they've patiently waited for. And this is the promise that God has fulfilled. That looking back on what God had said he would do was being fulfilled in Jesus who was showing up on the scene. But it wasn't just about looking backwards. It was also about looking forward to even greater future fulfillment of these promises in the Messiah. Look at verse 76. 
speaking about his own son, John, he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Can you imagine your own child being called that? The prophet of the Most High? No, all the prophets that came before him, and here John the Baptist is called the prophet of the Most High. Why was John in this unique position? Why was he in this exalted place? For you, verse 76, will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This John, this miracle baby, will prepare the way for the king they've been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years. He would proclaim, as Isaiah 40 tells us, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We see the promise of the herald being fulfilled in John the Baptist. God uses the proclaiming of John the Baptist to do what? Notice what he says. To give knowledge of salvation, verse 77, to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John the Baptist was proclaiming the deliverer was coming to rescue the people from their sin, to give knowledge of salvation from sin. Just so you know, God didn't have to do that for us. We didn't deserve it, but he does it anyways. God shows up in our darkness and in our ignorance, and he gives knowledge of salvation that is available through his son. And God does it not because he's manipulative. Look at what it says in verse 78. God does this because of the tender mercy of our God. He knows we don't deserve it. He gives it anyways. That is mercy from God. And it's not just mercy. It is tender mercy to us. That because God has shown his tender mercy to us, we can actually be saved and find new life. So this God that we serve, he is not a manipulative God. He's not a vindictive God. He's not a cold God. He's not an irrational God. He's not a cruel judge. This God who we serve is the one who presents himself as having a heart for his people that is marked by tender mercy. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. He loves you just that much that he would send his son to die. He's not a cruel ogre in heaven. He's the loving father who dies on behalf of his people. What a beautiful gift that God gives us. That is tender mercy. Yes, amen. The tender mercy of God is described in verse 78 as the sunrise that visits us from on high. That picture of the sun shining light into darkness that pierces through the shadow of death, verse 79. See, before Jesus came, the world was known only by its darkness, by its immense slavery to sin, no hope. But God promised from the east would come his son, Like the sunrise rising, light would shine where there was only darkness and the shadow of death. You understand what we're celebrating at Christmas time is not just a good guy. What we're celebrating at Christmas time is not just a good teacher. What we're celebrating at Christmas time is the arrival of the light shining into our darkness. Showing us our sin, 
and loving us in spite of it. And like condemned prisoners sitting in a dark cell with no hope, in shines the light of deliverance. And we're no longer found, as Paul describes in Acts chapter 17, as groping in the dark, hoping to find a way out. Jesus shows up and he shines the light of deliverance and rescue, no longer leaving us to ourselves to try and grope and find our way, but to lead us out by his own hand. And then verse 80. Oh, folks, if you want to talk about patience. Remember, Zechariah is saying this around the birth of his son. He's excited. The time has come. The day is here. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Guess what happens after this beautiful prophecy of Zechariah and this great joy and exaltation given to God for his final deliverance that has come? They have to wait again. It would be 30 years before Jesus would begin to publicly minister. More waiting. We have no indication that Zechariah even lived to see Jesus begin to minister. It's possible he died before. Just like all the others who waited for Jesus to show up. But it didn't stop his song of praise to God. If we got to wait till we breathe our last breath, we wait knowing that God is accomplishing everything he said he would. And if we die breathing our last breath and Jesus hasn't come yet, we still have hope. We still have a song of praise in our mouths. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people. He has redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. All the waiting in the world does not change any of those facts. God deserves praise right now because he has acted to rescue us. The promises he made all those years ago in the prophets, we are able to see the arrival of Jesus and it should stir up in us great praise for the king who finally the long-awaited one has shown up. Today, we still wait. We wait for him to come back. And just like the prophets of old who were waiting for him to come the first time, may we be found waiting patiently for our king to come back. We today still long for the awaited one to return. So folks, 
Here's what I believe this, this, this word tells us. God had to send his son to die because we were sinners. There's no way around that. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't justify it. Every single person in this room has rebelled against God. Every single one of us. Even the sweet, dear old ladies. We've all rebelled against God. And we all deserve death. We all deserve to be separated from God forever. To know nothing of his wrath. Nothing but his wrath. And nothing of his love. We deserve that. And if God didn't act, that's exactly where we all would be. As John chapter 3.31 tells us, apart from Jesus, we are still under the wrath of God. So God had to do something. If we were ever going to be delivered from our sins, God had to act. And guess what? He did. He sent his own son to take on human flesh, to lower himself to the lowest level, to die a criminal's death, to be buried in a tomb that wasn't even his own. He did that so that we might be forgiven. And God demonstrated that he accepted the sacrifice of his son when he raised him from the dead. And Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he was given the name that is above every name. That Jesus, he deserves your worship and mine right now. You need to trust him. You need to put your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. Not in your own goodness, not in your own effort, but in the one who was promised by the Father, the branch of David, who would redeem God's people and reign over them as the righteous king forevermore. You need to put your trust in him alone. And Christians, during this season, may we not dupe anybody into thinking that this season exists simply for trivial matters or just for time to get together or just for presence. But we share with people the reason why we celebrate this. We celebrate the birth of Jesus because he would die for us. May we proclaim the good news that they too can be delivered, redeemed, and rescued by God through his son. Jesus deserves praise because he is the awaited one who has come. I want to show you this video to close. It's a beautiful song that I think talks about this much-anticipated arrival of Jesus. Let's listen to it for a second. We celebrate that the awaited one has arrived. Praise be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I don't know the hearts of everyone here, but you do. And Father, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on the awaited one who has arrived. That in him was the light in the midst of darkness. That in Jesus was the life in the midst of death. In Jesus is the truth that separates from falsehood. And he alone deserves praise. 
And God, so often this time of year can become about selfish things. It can become about making much of ourselves. And we forget that we were rescued by the King to make much of his name. And so God, I pray that in this place, you would receive praise from your people. That our lives would ooze joy, love, gratefulness for what you've done for us. God, if there's anyone here who is putting their trust in something or someone other than you, God, would you rescue them, please? Would you deliver them? Would you show them the ugliness of their sin? And would you show them the beauty of Jesus against that? And God, would you draw them to yourself? That they would trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection. God, God, help us as Christians to be beacons of light in a dark world. To show others the beautiful redemption that Jesus brings. Father, I pray that this season, which is filled with busyness and toil, God, help us to be patient. Help us to wait on you. And help us to long for the return of our King. And until that day, may we bless your name. Father, we thank you, not only for what you've done, but for who you are. We give you glory and honor and praise forevermore. We ask it all in the name of our King, Jesus Christ, amen.